Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. There are any number of reasons you might consider selling your home. To move closer to family, live within a smaller budget, or just wanting a change of scenery. Whatever your reasons, having to figure out all the various housing market trends in your area may not be what you signed up for. That's where an agent who is a Realtor comes in. Realtors have the expertise to help you find the right price and navigate the process to sell your home in a way that's right for you. That's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. So far, 2016 is looking a whole lot like 2015 as Jordan Spieth rolls in Maui. Justin Thomas is taking a Ryder Cup over a major. Right or wrong, we'll discuss. And former world number one Luke Donald almost stepped away from the game last year. We'll chat about his options now. Welcome into the newest edition of Monday Scramble. It's first of 2016. Joined by Ryan Lavner and Nick Menta. I'm Will Gray. This is our weekly GolfChannel.com podcast. You can get it wherever podcasts are sold for free. If you want to step up your game, watch us in video. Here we are, live and in color on GolfChannel.com. Ryan, I hope your weekend went better than Blair Walsh's. It did. Just another sad weekend for a Georgia graduate, but that's the life of an NFL kicker. you got 300-pound guys battling in minus 20-degree wind chills, and it comes down to a 140-pound kicker. It comes down to Ray Finkel. you got to hold the laces out. Laces out. Everyone knows. Laces, laces out. out. All right. Well, it should have been easy, but certainly what was easy was what we saw from Jordan Spieth at Kapalua. He won by about 162 shots, blowing away the field. He's got another win under his belt, seventh of his career. I mean, what can't the kid do right now, right? Nothing. It's his the world. world. The world it's his is. world. We're all just living in it. Well, Jordan Spieth, after winning officially by eight shots, he did talk to the media, and here's what he had to say after the romp at the Hyundai Tournament Champions. We needed to do. I mean, it's uh, one thing to be in that position after yesterday. It's another to actually um, kick out the demon saying, if you don't win this one tomorrow, you know, it's, uh, it's going to look really bad after blowing a five-shot lead. You know, it's... Uh, but it's a possibility, you know, in, in golf. You get a couple bad breaks, shoot even par, someone shoots, or you shoot two under, someone shoots eight under. You know, it's possible on this course. So that all comes to mind, and you just got to try and flush it out, get into a rhythm. We putted the ball great, only missed a couple putts inside of really like 12 feet. Only missed a couple of them that I can think of. Uh, and that's, uh, and to make a, you know, quite a few more outside of that, that's nice. So Jordan Spieth, Comes in as the world number one, still world number one. He increases that margin over the nearest competitor, Jason David. I'm going to go to you live first. Did anything surprise you out of what you saw Jordan Spieth this week? Well, I think any time you shoot 30 under par, that's a little bit surprising. Even Spieth conceded that. But, no, and when you look at it, he basically took a three-week break during the holidays. It's not like just because the calendar turned in 2016, he was just going to suddenly forget how to play golf. I mean, he's still the, the world's best player, and he showed up with no rust whatsoever. His short game, this was just a, a reminder of, of how far that can carry him. And so, no, I wasn't surprised that he won this tournament. I picked him to win, and it just seems like he's picked up where he's left off here. Go ahead, Nick. 
Absolutely, and you, you alluded to the fact that he didn't show any rust, and I think it was most impressive to me yesterday, he hits a, a poor approach into the first hole, and, and he's standing with a terrible lie on top of the bunker, and you think, all right, could, could this maybe go the wrong way on him, and just very casually gets up and down from a, a spot, you know, my, maybe nine out of ten guys, other, other, nine out of ten times other guys aren't getting down from that kind of position. He makes it look so routine, and it was a walk to the finish. Yeah, I mean, seriously, a walk to the finish. Let's put it into perspective, 30 under par in a 72-hole event. I mean, Patrick Reed won second, this event. Second best ever yeah. in I mean, relation Patrick to Patrick Reed was, what, 22 under last year, 21 under, something like that? Mm -hmm. And that was a really good score for four days at Kapalua. And then he comes in, and he would have, Patrick Reed would have won it again this year at 22 under, if not for Jordan Spieth playing in the field. But the stat that stuck out to me, and there are, there are plenty of stats we can get from, from Justin Ray and our, our editorial department as well, but it's, Eight career rounds for Jordan Spieth on the plantation course. He's made four bogeys. I, I mean, we can go out to Dubstred, and we're not going to make we're going to make more than four bogeys before we make the turn. And th that's incredible golf from tee to green. And as you said, Lab, that short game is just world class. And the plantation course doesn't really seem like the kind of place that would suit his game. Obviously, a, a Bubba Watson, a Dustin Johnson type of Brooks Kepka type. Don't we say that everywhere? We said that, you said that for the Masters. Starting for, for the sure. Masters, yeah. But but he's won at other courses that we said, well, maybe this isn't. Speed's place to win. It just shows you how good his wedge play and his chipping and putting around the green are. It's just, that's the great equalizer for him. Yes, the mounds and the undulating fairways can make up some of that, that deficit he's going to face in distance, but his short game is just so unbelievable that it puts him at such an advantage. And uh, we do talk about it all the time. We see longer golf courses and we think Bubba Watson's going to play well here. Brooks Kepka, who did play well yep. at Kapalua, this, this is a course that might fit him. And even though Jordan Spieth doesn't hit the ball, nearly as far as some of the other really talented players on tour, it doesn't seem to matter whatsoever. He's hitting it out there 290, and at least at Kapalua, that ball's still going to roll, I can think, on, on Saturday. Yeah. He hit three iron from 250 to about nine feet. So Yeah, normal, normal 290 is about 330 yeah. average at Kapalua. Yeah. you got to get that, that actually. They might as well be playing at the mountains and rocks. Which is even more staggering when you think about Kepka or, or Bubba because 330 suddenly becomes 370. That is true. Well, as we said, Patrick Reed, the defending champ, would have won this event uh, in any other year where Jordan Spieth was not teeing it up. Instead, he finished a mere eight shots behind, but still it was a pretty good run for him. And he continues that momentum that he built up over the fall when he had six straight top tens in Asia. I know I was really bullish, Lav, on Patrick Reed entering this year, perhaps more so than others in terms of carrying that momentum over, but so far so good for P. Reed. Yeah, absolutely. Seventh consecutive top ten worldwide now, as you talked about. And here's a stat that really puts in perspective just how incredible Spieth was. Patrick Reed didn't make a bogey until his 69th hole yeah. of the tournament. And at that point, he was still six over. shots behind. Yeah, so Patrick Reed, yes, he, he, had, he had some chances on, on Sunday where he could have cut to the deficit. He, he missed overall nine times inside of 10 feet for the week. So he really could have made this closer. But I like the changes that he's made with his ball flight. He's going away from that, that big sweeping hook. He's starting to shape his shots left to right a little bit. I think that's going to pay off. It wouldn't surprise me at all, Will. I know you picked him to, to win a major this year. It wouldn't surprise me if he's not in that discussion. He did struggle in the greens, which is sort of Ironic. He shot comical. 22 under par. That's, that's he the shot point. 22 under. Yeah, all week was he had chances to make his week, and yet he's right. still well, 22 Jordan under Jordan Spieth could have gotten a 35 under, too. I mean, he missed a couple putts here and there. So he wasn't making everything, but right, continue with your point. <laughs> that, was, that was part of the point. And, uh, I mean, we always scoff at Patrick Reed for that top five comment, except now he is a top five player in the world. And as of today, if, 
That's right. And as of today, if the Olympics had started, he'd be one of the four players representing the United States. There you go. I was talking about that earlier today. That Right now, the projections show you could have Spieth, Reed, Bubba, and Ricky Fowler for the U.S. That would be an incredible and compelling foursome. But I know you were you are saying that Patrick Reed could win a major. What do you think, Nick? This year, is this the year that Patrick Reed gets a major? I like his attitude, and I think that's what's so impressive about him. A lot of these guys are friends out there, and they do, you know, they do get along. But he's sort of got that fire about him, um, and he seems to thrive on direct confrontation. And, and he's clearly not afraid of a big stage. We've seen that even in team competitions like the Ryder Cup, like the Presidents Cup. He seems to have the mental makeup, and he does have the game to, to perform on the highest stages. And I don't think it's out of the question. I do think he should be a serious contender this year. And Masters, watch out. He's, Masters. Got a, he's got a chip on his shoulder that he's not part of that big three, big four, whatever you want to call it in golf, and that could take him a really long and way. He clearly sees himself there, despite the fact that right. you know maybe others don't. All I know is I certainly want Reed to win sometime this year so we can get him and Spieth for a rubber match next year in Maui. But moving on real quick, Brooks Kepka T3 in his first event with Nike gear and, and clubs. A lot of people were wondering, is there going to be a drop-off? We saw with Rory McIlroy when he moved all the way over to Nike. We've seen some other players go to the swoosh, and it's taken a little bit of time, but certainly the first week at least, small sample size, no issues for Kepka. Yeah, these players are always under more scrutiny when they change equipment, especially at the start of, of a new year, but look statistically use top six and distance, greens hit, and putting. So he really had yeah. his all-around game working at, at Kapalua, and that was the first time he's seen that golf course. He said earlier in the week he feels like he's hitting the ball even further now with the new equipment than the old one, like, like he needed yeah. to hit it any <laughs> further. Um, I think it's harder to change equipment now, maybe because there's no off-season, so it's it's tough for guys to break it in because we have this wraparound schedule where you're suddenly just going to play with one set of clubs, tee it up the next week to the Hyundai Tournament of Champions, and, and have to figure it out. But at least through one week, it, no ill effects for Kepka. Worth noting, he was the only guy with the new clubs in terms of Nike, but there were three other guys in the field this week that went to PXG. The results weren't quite there. Zach Johnson, Chris Curry, James Hahn all finished T21 or worse out of 32 players. Again, it's a small sample size, and these guys are only a few of the big stable that PXG brought in, but it just goes to show that sometimes these switches don't come as easily as you might hope. The thing I love about PXG is just if you wanted a set of irons, it would run you about $2,400. Think of all the Powerball tickets you could buy with your PXG set. I mean, I could. You could buy PXG? You could, well, you got to win Powerball first, yeah. and then you can try and buy PXG. But anyway, uh, and real quick, one last thing. Ricky Fowler, high tops, are they here to stay? They're here to stay because Ricky likes them. I'm not sure the... And the kids like Ricky. I'm and not sure the joggers... Joggers, it's a soft joke. I think, I think the joggers was really the, the, the criminal part of that look. I, I like the high tops. Fuck, I mean, Keegan, Keegan's had them for, what, two years, yeah. two or three years One now? The Jordan brand, sure. Yeah. yeah, Brooks Kepka's got some high top shoes as well. So, Ricky, good for him. Anything to grow the game. There you go. All right, well, back to Jordan Spieth, as we were talking about. Eight-shot win. It's a seventh win of his career. First win in the first event of 2016. And he has talked about these comparisons with Tiger Woods, where he sits at age 22. And, and he's been kind of sheepish and saying, I, I don't want to be compared. But he also says that he understands the comparisons are going to come up. And he doesn't think that he'll ever feel ready to be compared to Tiger Woods. How do you guys feel about just, just not only where Spieth is right now versus where Tiger was in 97, 98, but the overall status of the comparison? Is it legit at this point? From an age perspective, it is. But I think the, the better comparison is what they did in a certain number of starts. This was Jordan Spieth's 77th start on the PGA Tour. He's now won seven times. If you look at Tiger over that same exact span, he won 18 times. Yes, he was a year older, but they've been on tour the exact same 
amount of time. So Tiger still gives the advantage to him. But if Spieth can knock off a couple majors here, you're certainly looking at a career trajectory that puts him right on pace with Tiger. And you're, or you're right, rather. Spieth had that very early victory at the, the John Deere in 2013, didn't win in 2014. But if you look at the last 14 months, he's won eight times worldwide. So he is starting to, to knock off wins at, at that kind of rapid rate. And there's two majors thrown in there and, and a FedEx Cup championship, a tour championship. So um, yes, I, I think at first, you know, he may be was a little bit slower to, to win at that kind of rate than Tiger was, but certainly not over the last year. He's certainly doing it differently than, than Tiger did, where he was overpowering golf courses and draining every putt inside. I mean, Spieth is really draining strategically, yes, he, but he's strategically putting his way around the golf course and beating guys that way. Well, strategically beating guys by a country mile at the right. same time. So who do you say, let's, let's indulge in some of these hypotheticals right now. If we take Tiger at 22 and Spieth at 22, who's the better closer? Speed's getting it done in different ways, which I think is important. You know, three of his PGA Tour victories have come in playoffs, but he's also starting to demoralize fields we talked about earlier. Patrick Reed shoots 22 under, and it wasn't even close enough to being good. Yeah. And I think that's part of what made Tiger so intimidating, yeah. that guys would feel as though they could play their best golf, and it, and it wouldn't even be close. Um, I, and I do like the fact that he can get it done in different ways. He, he got ahead at the Masters, stayed ahead. Tour Championship, he won by four shots. The Hero World Challenge last year blew away the field. He wins yesterday by eight so I think it's important that he can get it done in a, in a close fashion or, or in a blown way. I still think that if you ask the players that were participants at the 97 Masters that you would say that they they would say that it qualified as demoralizing to watch Tiger stroll the victory and win by 12 shots there so I, but I see what people were saying. saying the same thing about Roy though 2011 US Open yeah. he looked like he was playing a different golf course. PGA at Kiowa wasn't pretty well, that's, good. Those, those are two I was gonna say when we always talk about in terms of contemporary stuff the big three with Jason Day and Rory and Spieth and you talk about who if they're all playing their best who is going to be the best and I tend to side with Rory and I often cite those two majors that he won by eight shots the 11 US Open and the 12 PGA just in terms of beating elite fields during the week that everyone's trying to peak and not only beating them but lapping them and and winning destructively but now you look at some of these route victories that Spieth is piling up whether it's the Australian Open when he shot that crazy 63 the, the hero at Isleworth this week's event Maybe you have to give him some credit for being able to keep the pedal down once he gets a three-shot lead and build it to five, build it to six, build it to eight. Yeah, it seems like Spieth brings his A game more consistently than Roy does. Roy may pop up four or five times with what looks like his best stuff. Jordan, I mean, he seemingly brings it every week like this is the new normal. I mean, 10 of his last 13 starts have been inside the top 10, so he's almost always bringing his best stuff. But to answer your original question, I think, Tiger and Roar, or Tiger and Jordan, comparing them as closers is kind of unfair because they're different in the ways that in the ways that they close. Tiger was intimidating. The fact that he was so physical and just his mere presence kind of made guys uncomfortable. Jordan obviously is really friendly. Guys like to be around him, but he pushes people out of their comfort zone because he's making so many putts and he's so smart on the golf course that he that he's pushing players to kind of press on the golf course and try and make a birdie. And obviously that's going to lead to more mistakes. And he just keeps the pedal down and doesn't blink. And that makes guys a lot really un uncomfortable in trying to win. I think that demeanor is sort of one of their biggest differences. Tiger used to stand on different points in the green and like hover over guys as they were ready to putt to, to get in their heads. Meanwhile, you have Jordan Spieth at the PGA Championship giving Jason Day a thumbs up. So yeah. their attitudes are so different. 
but but the results, at, at least before the age of 23, certainly mirror each other. It's still deep down. Jordan Smith is a stone cold killer. Absolutely, he, he might be smiling. He'll just give you a thumbs He's going to kill you. Yes, yeah. he will. He will take the knife out and then stab you again. But you want to talk about demoralizing? Just trying to to compete or even stay keep pace with Jordan Spieth, knowing that he right now feels so confident over five, six, eight-foot putts. It's stuff that we haven't seen since. Again, it goes back to Tiger, who, as I said in the pre-production meeting, did not miss a putt for about 12 years. And right now, Spieth is so comfortable and confident on those putts that you see as must-makes, must-haves, that they're all going in. And the thing with Jordan, too, sorry to cut you off there, Nick, when he stands over a 25-footer, I think a lot of guys are like, all right, might, let's, not, let's, not, let's not three-jack this. Yeah. For Jordan Spieth, it's like, all right, I have a one in three chance right. of making this. Two and a half cups outside left, give me the good pace. Exactly. Right. So the, the fact that he drops those bombs from, from long range is really the demoralizing part of Spieth's game. And that was the story for much of last year with him where, you know, he would say maybe a 10 to 12 foot putt, he might struggle more and feel more confident over a 20 to 25 foot putt, and that would get his round going, and all of a sudden he's making everything. And at this point, it is more surprising when he misses. Yeah. than when he makes, and I, I go back to the 18th hole on Saturday again, he hits that terrific approach shot into the last hole, and he's got maybe a 10-foot putt with two and a half feet of break in it. And, and there was no chance he was missing it. No. He, he knew it. His playing competitor knew it. The fans knew it. That was going in. That was going in the hole. Real quick, what do you get the man who has everything? What is one aspect of Spieth's game that maybe needs a little improvement, or what is he lacking? I mean, obviously, he'd always like to have more length but he's he's gotten he's gotten bigger he's gotten stronger he's added five to ten yards since he got on the pga tour i think just consistency with his ball striking is the one thing you can give him nick i would i would absolutely agree and i think we make too much of the fact that he doesn't hit the ball anywhere because it just it doesn't seem to matter at this point and and if he does improve his ball striking then, then the length won't even matter. Yeah, and we're, we're going to talk about Luke Donald later on Look in this show. Look, yeah. Look at that. Yeah. Luke Donald Luke tries to add some yeah. distance and went completely the wrong direction. I, I think Spieth views that as kind of a cautionary tale. He's content with playing the game that he knows how. All right, well, let's go from one 22-year-old to another, a guy that many people don't realize is actually a couple months older than Jordan Spieth, and that is Justin Thomas. Earlier this week, he made his debut at the Hyundai Tournament Champions, but he talked to Mark Rolfing, and he spoke about where he would prioritize making the Ryder Cup in 2016 versus winning a major in 2016, and we have that sound, so let's take a listen. Cups, I've been two in the States, one out of the States. Um, it's, it's just unbelievable. I mean, I got chills as a spectator, so, and, and talking to guys that have played in it, say it's the coolest thing they've ever done. It, um, it's something I'm definitely, definitely shooting for, but I can't, get, you know, I can't get ahead of myself. I got a lot of things I need to take care of first. All right, here's a hard question. If I ask you, you could do one of two things. Either win a major championship this year or play on a winning Ryder Cup team. Winning Ryder Cup team. Winning Ryder Cup team. Hands down. No hesitation. Hands down. Hands down. How about that? Listen, I'm going to go and say I love this from Justin Thomas. I, there's been a lot of discussion about what do you... Which way do you side with? Is it okay that he's prioritizing the team competition over the individual? The first caveat is everyone understands if you win a major, you're going to make the Ryder Cup team. John Daly found a way to do it twice and, and not make a Ryder <laughs> Cup team. But Justin Thomas is not John Daly. If he wins any of the four majors this year, he is a lock to be at Hazel team. But I love that he is prioritizing this event. This is absolutely what the U.S. needs. You need new blood, new perspective. You need guys in there that are ready to cut their chops and win this thing after 
being demoralized, that's the word of the day, for the last 15 years. I think it was certainly refreshing to hear a player who's 22 years old kind of express this enthusiasm for the Ryder Cup. But this, to me, this was the stupidest controversy that we could possibly have. It's January. You have to talk about something. Like Justin Thomas is possibly going to care more on the back nine of his singles match if he could give the Americans a victory of compared to the back nine at Augusta National. He's going to give it his all regardless. So the fact that this is just a silly hypothetical, it got spun on him as, as kind of proof that he doesn't want to take his game to the next level. Well, to me, it was just absolutely ridiculous. You don't think he might just dump a major down the back nine because he says, well, if I win this major, yeah, this I might is, not win the Ryder Cup. Exactly. He's, doing the, he's doing the point projections to see where he's going to stand relative this to... This was the right. silliest controversy ever. Right. I mean, first things first, he was asked the question. It wasn't as though he just got up there and freely offered, you know what, I would rather win the Ryder Cup. He was asked the question, and I, and I like athletes who actually honestly answer questions. I think it's good. Because Fewer he could have just gotten up there and stonewalled and been like, ah, you know, both would be both great. Would be great. Yeah. One would be great. So he answered the question, and he was honest about it. And, and that's fine. It's not going to change how hard he plays on a weekly basis. In fact, I don't think he'll think very much about it at all. Mm. And if he just plays well, the, the results will, will speak for themselves and he'll make his way on the team. He said as much later in the week when he was yep. asked about it again. I think that we've seen this before from Rory as well, where Rory's asked a question, he answers it honestly, and then people get on him for giving an honest answer to a question. Happened at the Tour Championship last Happened year. Happened at the Tour Championship. It's a great example. So I, I agree with you, Lav. It's, we spun it out of control. But you need something to talk about in early January. It was a fun hypothetical question. I will say the main takeaway for me was that it shows the camaraderie of these young players. Justin Thomas wants to be on that team right. with with Jordan Spieth and Ricky and Patrick Reed and all of these players. It shows you how desperately they want to win together. Yeah. I think that's a stark departure than what we saw. We've talked about past. the youth takeover for months now, and, and that is going to extend to the Ryder Cup where these guys who are all friends. I mean, you can even throw Patrick Rogers in this mix if his game gets better and he can qualify for this team. He and Spieth and, and Thomas are so tight. They're friends. They want to take ownership of this team, and, and they want to turn around the American fortunes. So it's no surprise whatsoever. I, I think they would all thrive in that environment because they get along so well. It's going to look a lot like the 2011 Walker Cup team. Unfortunately, that team lost. You but... are the only person in most rooms that knows what the 2011 Walker Cup team looks exactly. like. Exactly, but there, a... there was a certain brotherhood to that team. He's got that picture hanging over the wall. He does, over the wall. Now, do you think that this, this prioritization that we're talking about, has that been helping the Euros over the last 10 or 15 years? Or is it just that they are better players in this format? Is there any sort of mindset part to this where the Europeans feel that team unity, they put it, uh, put this high on the list for two years in a row, they're not playing the President's Cup in the off year, and that now maybe we could see a changing of the tide just with the perspective that some of these young guys in the U.S. have. I think maybe 15, 20 years ago you could see the unity because the European tour wasn't quite what it was and it was kind of a traveling circus where they're all there together. Now they basically live in tropical locations such as Orlando, Florida, and not necessarily Switzerland, but I think the fact of the matter is the European team has less pressure every single year to win the cup and that's important the united states Wait, comes what? there you think you think the euros have less pressure on them to win the cup than the u.s does 100 percent i certainly think that's the case now i would agree with you now yeah absolutely really especially after the creation of this task force i mean well yeah now going, now, now going, 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 going to hazeltine who yes, has, who uh, has yes. most pressure? U.S. guarantee has more pressure. Every year they have the better team in terms of world ranking. You're telling me that, that the U.S. had more pressure in 14 in playing across the pond? 100%.
And going back to, to, I mean, we can go all the way back, but I, I get that I think once, in recent once times, the streak has, once the streak has built pressure. up, that there's more pressure on the U.S. to end it. But I think if you go back eight or ten years, I'm not sure that the the euros are just rolling in footloose and fancy free, just just playing with house money. I like your point about the, the world ranking, though, because Darren Clark even started in again a couple weeks ago, calling uh, the European team the underdogs, despite the fact that they have won yeah. what is it, six of the last seven? Yeah. How could they possibly be underdogs? But it goes back to that. And this is the conversation we have every two years. The United States does have the better average world ranking. You would expect them to win because you would think that they conceivably have On paper, have they should win talent. every single year. Right. The fact that they don't leads me to believe that there is a pressure factor that becomes too intense and they can't compete for three days. All right. We'll, we'll table this. There will be plenty of time to talk about <laughs> we can, we can Ryder talk about Cup. We got like, like, we got like 10 months. All right. Well, speaking of the Ryder Cup, let's talk about a guy who actually wasn't on the team in 2014. Former world number one, as you plugged earlier in the show, Ryan Lavender, that would be Luke Donald. He's tumbled all the way down to number 78 in the world rankings, and he spoke uh, to the Telegraph in the UK and James Corrigan, and, and he said that last May he thought about giving up the game. He had fallen outside the top 50 in the world ranking. He didn't qualify. He had, he had to qualify for the U.S. Open and the Open Championship. He was out of the WGCs. He had switched swing coaches to Chuck Cook. It hadn't paid off, and he was just kind of wandering, and he really questioned his long-term status in the game. He said, I didn't have confidence, and I really thought about stepping away. He had to go to a sports psychologist. He went back to his former coach at Northwestern, Pat Goss. He kind of got things started on track, but are you guys surprised to hear such a candid admission from a former world number one like that? Surprised because he's still, I mean, he's in his mid to late 30s. There's still plenty of. Just turned 38. Yeah, there's still plenty of good golf conceivably that he could play, but the fact of the matter is he's, he's had a great short game and that's really carried him through his entire career. He's always been crooked off the tee and with his irons, but. The past couple of years has been even <laughs> more so, and even his putting has taken a step back in his, in his rest of his short game. So, yes, it was shocking to hear just because he has potentially some good golf left. But, I mean, he's dropped down to almost 80 in the world now. It's long road, long road back to the top. Shows just how precarious that position can be. Yeah. And we'll talk about this a little more with Adam Scott, too, in terms of former. Another plug. Boy, you guys just make my job easy here. Foreshadowing. Yeah, there you go. Um, but it shows how, how precarious that position can be and how... Sometimes, even more than maybe swing problems, there can be mental blocks. And, and once you start wondering about once your Once the confidence time, goes, you're toast. Right. Yeah. And once you start questioning, you know, he's 78th in the world. There are plenty of guys down at 433rd who would love to be 78th in the world. But for somebody like Luke Donald, he's now questioning, should I keep playing golf? And once you get there, I mean, that's, that's probably a pretty difficult place to come back from. When I, when I look at it, though, I'm, I'm almost surprised that, I guess the, the parallel I would come up with is Barry Sanders that Luke Donald has made more money than he can spend in his career. And I'm, I'm almost surprised that there hasn't been a player that has just said, listen, and we heard this from Boo Weekly years ago, and he's still playing. He's like, I want to make X number of dollars to where I can fish every day, and then I'm going to pull the plug, and I'm going to go fish every day. And golf. So Jason they, Duffner hinted at that a couple yeah, of years exactly. ago. Exactly. Lydia Coe said she's going to retire at 30. But, but we, when they get to those milestones, they keep playing golf because golf, for a variety it's of reasons, yeah. is, it's, it's not as physically taxing as. the same thing about winning 10 tournaments. Right. Or, and now every time he wins one, we have to equivocate. He's like, well, that one didn't actually count. Or yeah. now I want to get to world number one. Then I'll walk away. But I think at some point we, we might see it where you just have a world class player that gets to 35 or 38, has plenty of money, has a family at home that he wants to spend time with, and he says, I'll see you guys maybe i'll come back when i'm when i'm 50 and I'll, I'll kick it back in gear for the champions tour but for the most part we really haven't seen that in in a while i still think rory's going to be a guy who who quits at 35 36 just has other things you breaking news here? No. <laughs> I, just, I just i i believe he has that kind of personality where 
all these titles are great, and he's got fame that he know, doesn't even know what to do with. But when he gets to that point, I think he's done. All right. At least from Donald's perspective, though, and let's let's not lose sight of this. If Rory were to do that at 35 or 36, it's because he's he's probably playing at a high level, but maybe he's just sort of lost, lost interest. Yeah. Whereas Luke Donald seems to have. Well, I think there's going to be. You're not going to step away quite like Barry Sanders did when you're playing at a high level. If you do lose motivation, it's going to take an impact on your results, and then I think that's going to start the tumble. You're not going to be winning three or four times a year and then be like, well, I, I think I'm done. Yeah. But. And just something to think about. It's, it's an interesting problem that, that golf presents just because these guys are, are doing really well financially. They've got the family life. You're on the road 40 weeks out of the year. And, and I think at some point someone might say, oh, that's enough. Let's face it. If Luke Donald can't get straighter off the tee and with his iron play, his game doesn't work anymore on, on the PGA yeah. Tour. You yeah. have to hit it 290-plus. He doesn't do that. And you need to have a, a great short game like Jordan Smith has shown. Well, here's a guy who certainly takes plenty of family time for the side on on his side and doesn't really play the 30 times a week schedule i'm talking about adam scott who at number 11 in the world is actually the highest ranked player this week at the sony open as the pga tour shifts from maui to oahu so as we look at the field here we've got kuchar zach johnson jimmy walker going for three in a row what are some things that you guys are looking for this week at wildlife I'm curious to see how Adam Scott's going to play. Obviously, the, the anchoring ban took effect January 1. Adam Scott, though, went back to that short putter during the fall. He actually played pretty well in Australia. And I think his struggles in 2015 were more a product of some things happening off the golf course. New wife, new baby, getting adjusted to being a father when you're 35, 36 years old. So I think Adam Scott, he's going to be more settled this year. He's not going to have that putter indecision hanging over his head. I would expect him to bounce back. I'm not sure he's going to win five times in a major, I think he could win once or twice. Yeah, I really think indecision was the key for Adam Scott in terms of that putter. We saw him go to the short putter early in 2015 at Doral and, and at Tampa, and then he switched back to the long putter. It just seemed like, Nick, that he couldn't make up his mind and that by the time he made a decision, it was already too late in the season. No, and that indecision has to weigh more on you when you have some of the other things going on in your life, like like Lav just mentioned. You know, you would want some sort of consistency on the golf course if, if you're dealing with things that you don't ordinarily deal with, new wife, new baby, and then all of a sudden it's new putter or old putter or new putter again. And so I think... You know, some of those problems were probably exacerbated, and and that's why what he didn't win for the first time since 2001. Yeah. His first year, wide event. Yeah. His first right. year as a pro. Um, he did make that nice run in the final round, Australia, and you thought that maybe he could sort of pull one out of the fire there at the last minute. But but it will be interesting to see how now that he's more adjusted to to all those new things off the golf course, and he doesn't have to worry about which putter am I going to use. Maybe there will be a, a sense of consistency for him. I will say, uh, I do have a friendly wager with our colleague Rex Hoggard. Uh, in terms of the Olympics, I have said that Adam Scott, I'm not sure if he's going to play, but I've said that Adam Scott will qualify and earn that second slot for Australia. He says it's going to go to Mark Leishman, so I, from a from personal point of view, would certainly like to see the bounce back that we're all hoping for from Adam Scott, if only to dig into the pocket of Rex just a little bit. I think 2015 was just the perfect storm. You had the, the, the off-the-course things, you had the new putter, and then you had the fact that he was struggling for the first time since really 2010, where he just didn't know what he was going to bring to the golf course. He's been a different player since 2011. He, when, you, when you combine that, it just made for a rough year. Going back to the Sony Open uh, preview, what do you guys think? What are the chances of Walker pulling off his three-peat? He certainly won in style last year, winning by nine shots. Got a T10 
last week at Kapalua, so that was so excited. at least a, a, a sign of something. Yeah, I, mean, he I don't know. He's, he showed up. He hasn't right. done anything since May. No. He's done absolutely nothing. He hasn't, but he seems to love Hawaii. I think over his last four starts in Hawaii, so we have the Tournament of Champions and the Sony Open, he's a combined 75 under par. That T10 was his worst result. Prior to that, it was a win, a second place and a win. Um, That's not bad. It's, but I, I, I agree with you, Lab, that, that his fall off in the second half of 2015 was somewhat telling. And I'm, I'm going to be interested to see how he plays this week, just to see where, where his game is at, certainly on a course that he likes and that has played well at before. Yeah, he's going through some swing changes with, with, with Butch Harmon. Obviously, no one gets, gets worse when you go to Butch. So he's, he's going to come out of this eventually. You just don't know whether you know, being back at Wyla is going to have those, spark those good feelings again or if it's going to take a little bit more time. And it's not a, an incredibly long track record, but he has had his wins over the fall in the very early parts of the season and then hasn't had as much success as the summer wears on. So maybe this is the time where he kicks it back in the gear. Jimmy Walker was a standout player at the 2014 Ryder Cup. Yes or no, does he make the U.S. team at Hazeltine? Yes. Yes. All right, I think probably. You're probably. Yeah. But we'll see. I think this week is going to be telling in terms of how his early season trajectory is going to go. We've seen he's a player who really makes his hay early in the year. He's won at Pebble before. He really got that hot start during that, that first wraparound season in 13-14. Yeah. He likes Riviera. So these are going to be big six to eight weeks as Lab drops his pen, and hopefully no, hopefully no one notices. But anyway, all right, well, we're going to move on as the show is coming to a close. But Monday night, we do have the national championship of college football. Alabama going for four out of the last seven, I believe, against Clemson. So let's, let's talk. Break it down real quick and give me a prediction. I think Clemson's actually going to win this game. I just feel like it's time that Nick Saban doesn't win. Legacy thing is over. I think it's Clemson. You're pulling back those those articles that everyone wrote in October after the loss to Ole Miss yeah. that the Alabama dynasty is dead. Look, last year, I mean, they, they didn't show up in the semifinal game, but if anything, I've, at this point, I've learned to stop betting against Alabama. Mm. Uh, those losses aren't going to come <laughs> when you expect them. Um, I think Coker's actually the key to the ball game tonight. I mean, Derrick Henry gets way more of the attention, and even just from the quarterback perspective, Deshaun Watson uh, will probably get get more of the shine on the broadcast, but, but Coker, even in that semifinal game, was really impressive. Mm. Um, I think Alabama pulls it out. I'm concerned with the first half, second half splits in terms of point differential. Alabama is so much better in the second half. I could definitely see Clemson getting off to an early start, maybe 7, 10-point lead at half, and then I think Alabama might, might sweep them away in the second Clemson's half. Clemson's defense is underrated, too. They could force a few turnovers. Feeling good about Shaq Lawson? How's that knee doing? Not really. Not really? All right, well, that's, that I, could be big. Can I change my pick to Alabama only on the basis that I don't want to see Davos when he's dancing? You'd rather see Nick Saban dancing? Yeah, I would love Why to see you Nick Saban dancing. There's plenty of footage of Nick Saban dancing. From the 15 titles that they've won in the last, I don't know, 30 months or so, I'd like to see Clemson win. Even so would as an I. SEC guy. Even though Clemson has no fan base. I like saying Patrick. Shots fired right there. Well, we will see. It'll be an interesting game. But thank you for joining us once again. The podcast is available wherever you get podcasts, golfchannel.com, for the videos. We will be back next week to recap the Sony Open and look forward to the Career Builder Challenge out at PGA West. For Nick Menta, Ryan Lavner, I'm Will Gray. We'll see you next time. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory-smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave. It's one thing falling in love with a house, picturing yourself moving in and calling it home, 
and quite another navigating the world of price negotiating, mortgage lenders, and finding the budget that works best for you. An agent who's a Realtor can make understanding that world easier. Realtors have the expertise, access to proprietary data, and tools to help you get from imagining living somewhere to actually doing it. That's the kind of help we can provide. Because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors.